Outpost, a podcast about. Am I the only one that knows what it's about? <laughs> a podcast yes. about inspired thinking. I was told uh. to sit here. I'm I'm inspired today. Uh, let's let's do this. We're gonna just roll right over to community. Were you told questions. to sit there, or were you told to lounge there? Because you seem That's confused. Right. He's a little loungy. Just synonyms in my language. <laughs> Fair enough. That's right. All right. Hit us with our first community question today, Tom. All right. How closely do you follow the industries you make things for? Do you play all the most recent games? Do you read graphic design and creative professional trade publications and websites? And what value is there in that stuff? Okay, so so really it's like how much content about your own industry do you consume? How closely do you, do you follow it? Um, who wants to start with that? Um, I mean, for myself, I... It's interesting. I don't follow things as closely as, you know, people might expect. I, I, and most there's, there's kind of two reasons for that. One is just a time and bandwidth thing. You know, when you're making games, for example, you don't have a ton of time for playing games. I think that, you know, there's a certain degree to which we have a responsibility to know what's going on in our industry and, you know, we do play current games, but not as compulsively as someone who's just really a diehard board game fan. And I think, at least for myself as a designer, I feel like that actually makes me a better designer. Like, I, I like w knowing what's going on, broadly speaking, in kind of the board game meta. Um, and I actually follow the business side of things more and what's happening on Kickstarters and things like that more than I actually do game design. Mm -hmm. um, but I find if I am playing a ton of games, then my designs end up feeling like iterations on what other people are doing. Yeah, it almost it, probably has like a comparative, a bit of a comparative nature to it even. And I think that's kind of unavoidable. Yeah. Like if, if you watch movies nonstop and then you sit down to make a movie, it's going to feel like the things that you've been taking in all the time. Mm -hmm. And so it's not that I avoid playing games or like have no idea what's going on or that I'm clueless about the board game space. If, you know, I've lasered in on half the question, <laughs> but, um, I do like to leave a little room in my head for my own thinking and my own new ideas because I find things that are more distinctly me when it's I'm not putting myself in this corner where I have so much input that there's no room for me to come up with my own stuff. It's like our, our conversations we have often about the balance between creation and consumption, right? Exactly. That's uh, exactly we, what we it is. We can't overconsume or else we won't be able to create what we need to and we'll be out of balance. So, Yeah, you're actually hitting on what I was thinking when you move from being a consumer to a producer or a creator, the lens changes your perspective a lot. And so you don't consume in the way, or at least I've found that I don't consume in the way that I used to. I'm a little bit more selective, but I also have a deeper appreciation for things that have been produced and, and kind of, you kind of, the story I tell myself in my head is like, I bet that was a lot more work than people get credit for. And, and so you have a deeper appreciation, but at the same time, you have because of the depth that you have in your view and your perspective you can't really spend too much time analyzing every single thing that's out there and so and really your focus is still on creating and producing and so you do a certain amount of r&d and research to get better at what you're doing um because that is your focus but i think for me it's hard to go back into the consumer role because i feel such a responsibility on the producer side which is kind of a myth i, th I think that's something i probably should take a look at i know on my side the industry that i spend the most time in is social media and i have to keep my ear to the ground very closely on what's coming through the industry because it moves as fast as it does things can change and alter in a day that that changes what your strategy is for how you're creating content I do have to be very mindful about that balance of creation versus consumption as we all know I'm sure it can be very easy to just 
doom scroll, as Mark likes to call it, and and spend most of our time just consuming, consuming, consuming. And so I know for myself, I have to set specific creativity blocks into that to balance that. Um, but from an industry standpoint, I, I do have to keep my my ear very close to the ground to see what's coming, um, what new platforms might be coming, and studying those platforms to find out when we should actually be uh, integrating them into a uh, money-making system versus something that we're just researching, et cetera. So I stay very plugged in, um, but have to really work to maintain that balance. Yeah, that sounds a lot more like the at least on the board game side, the, the way that we have to approach like the Kickstarter platform yes. or shipping and logistics, you know, mm -hmm. like the things change so rapidly that you do need to be really plugged into what's going on. So I do follow many Kickstarters just to kind of see like, how's the community responding to what used to be something that everyone loved a month ago. And now everyone has turned on this company on this Kickstarter. Why? Exactly. And, yeah. So that's an important part of the industry to stay plugged in. And you can't do that if you're spending all your time playing games or mm -hmm. consuming social media content or even like, you know, running your little dog's TikTok channel. You know, I can't spend all my time running a dog's TikTok channel. And You'd get be consumed. so rich, though. If this is what dogs do. Little dogs. Little dogs. Little dogs. TikTok channel. Okay, I know it's similar on the, on the design side, too. Like, I... I mean, there are certainly we follow other designers and we talk about the work that they're doing, but we have never sat down and had a discussion about like what's hot in graphic design in 2021. Mm -hmm. Like that's a ticket to just being pedestrian. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, in uh, in my experience, I um, s started my geekdom much more invested in video games than I was in board games. And so from probably eighth grade through, you know, 19 years old, I was every single day consuming not only constant video games, literally eating the games, but, all, uh, <laughs> but I was also um, constantly listening to video game news podcasts and reading articles and um, just like watching Let's Plays and watching reviews. And so there was a period of time where I feel like I had my absolute finger on the pulse of the entire video game industry. could tell you about any game that I hadn't played that had come out that year. And so having that be my history makes me feel very um, like self-conscious about how I do not have that level of like industry mastery, know what every company mm -hmm. is doing, know what they're best known for, know what they did to get them on the map. And so coming in and starting to work here, I, f I felt that, uh, that I was kind of behind the eight ball there. And so has kind of spurred me into, uh, into a state where I am consuming more board game content and you know looking at Kickstarters, watching videos, watching reviews so that I can have a better understanding of not only the whole industry, but also the general uh, like aura and ethos and the way that everyone conducts themselves and uh, the way that people talk, allowing me to engage in the conversation better. I think it has made me feel like I, I need to more. Mm -hmm. The self-awareness I think I've been developing lately is when I'm looking at what other people are doing, how much of a critical nature comes up inside me about, oh, I wouldn't have made that decision or that seems weird versus really kind of trying to set my trajectory towards what's wonderful about that thing and how much joy I have when I'm looking for something wonderful in something versus, oh, I love all the thing 99% of that's awesome, but I hate this thing right here. And <clears throat> so much of our discourse, especially in social, is, a, is about you know, pointing out flaws. And I just think that there's so much more joy when you're just trying to think about, this is the most wonderful thing I found about this. And I'm not even going to talk about it in context, but this is something wonderful. I find that to be, not only does it, does it give me more joy, but it also leaves me with something inspiring to, to, to act on or to be mindful about in everything else I'm doing. It's like, gosh, you know, maybe that game's not for me and maybe that movie's not for me, but there was this moment or this piece of it or this part of it that I can take with me and kind of, you know, put it in my toolbox now. And I feel so much more fulfilled when I take that view. And it's hard because the instinct is immediately like, oh, I don't know why they did that. It's really easy to pick out, you know, things that you might have done differently. And that self-awareness I have is basically when I'm doing those different approaches, 
And anyway, it's, it's work in progress, I guess. Well, I like the toolbox idea because I, I align with that very much. The research, that I, the time that I spend into researching the industries that I spend the most time in is to me kind of like agility training. Like, or, you know, it's a tool that you put in your toolbox. It's agility training. It's revving your engine so that when an opportunity presents itself, when you get inspiration about something that you can do, something that you can make, um, it gives you the ability to pounce on that opportunity, right? We can't pounce on these opportunities if we're not consistently filling our toolbox, if we're not uh, working on our agility. I've been imagining, you know, as we've, as we've really coming into the next year at the, this idea of the metaverse happening, I even like, you hear me like, um, I'm like stumbling over my words thinking about it because I haven't quite developed opinions on it yet. I know we haven't talked about it yet. Uh, -uh. um, but, it is interesting because it, there's a big opportunity. There's a lot of negativity that can happen there, 100%, but there's immense opportunity there too. And I've been spending the last 10 years of my career on social media studying what works well on these stable platforms and waiting for the opportunity for something to come that we can early adopt because that early adoption of something is usually when you can gain a huge amount of following with much less work than once a, a platform is established. So That's why I'm such a tastemaker on Friendster. <laughs> King of Friendster. King of Friendster. Friendster. My MySpace is huge. I was going to say, I would have loved to see uh, Mark and Tom's MySpace profiles back in the day. Bring What's MySpace? Probably still out sure? there. <laughs> Just kidding. Who's on your top eight? So here's a real question. What is the most frustrating thing about running a business that makes board games? And weird follow-up, would you miss that thing or those things if they were gone? Triggered. <laughs> what is it? What's the most frustrating? I think you should ask Tom that right now. In your opinion, what's the most frustrating thing? I mean, the most frustrating parts about running a board game business is everything that doesn't involve making board games, which is most of what we spend our time doing. Yep. Um, Mark and I were talking this morning about how he and I have not sat down and actually worked on a board game in three months. Oh my gosh. I know. And that's what we wanted to do. Mm -hmm. You know, it, so, and a lot of this is just our own, you know, scaling problems and things that we need to solve as business people. But it is frustrating that so much of our time is consumed by manufacturing, freight, all the logistical things, taxes, international law, unbelievable amounts of customer service. Like you, you, you can, your entire everything can be completely consumed by stuff that doesn't involve actually making the thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that that can be a little bit soul crushing for people. You know, I, I've talked to a number of well-known industry people whose names you would know that are considering stopping because the other stuff is just so much and so exhausting and there just keeps being more of it. And none of these businesses are really big enough to just go hire someone to handle that. Like yeah. I, you just can't. The, the, then you don't make any money. There's not enough money in board games to just have a big company where you hire people to do, you know, the quote unquote crap work. Um, it's just not how it goes. You got, you got to have a thick skin. I think, you know, if I look at the times when I get most discouraged, it it has to do a little bit with how much we invest. And then if if it's not perfect, how much the imperfections come into the light, even though it's the 1% or the 2%, nothing that we ever make is going to be perfect. And it's, you know, so you have to just kind of roll with it and be like, you know, people who love our stuff sometimes will will be like I love everything you guys do but and then and then they'll list something and then somebody else that's their first experience with what we've made is oh so you mean they didn't really do a good job they're inept they're incompetent they they're, didn't proofread the they didn't proofread the rule book or whatever <laughs> yeah that oh that yeah <laughs> I know and and of course Too we proofread the rule book we just you know it's and and so those things can be I think soul crushing and and what it requires is we just kind of have to get past that right at a certain level you know that comes with the territory and i again the 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 thing that i've gained the most from that is the self-awareness about how much i do that with other things other people other mm -hmm. people's products as a consumer myself i and i'm not perfect at it yet obviously nothing's ever perfect but 
that I think is one of the hardest things because it takes away the joy so quickly and it doesn't just take away the joy from the creator. It takes away the joy from other people's first look at something they're really excited about. You see this with movie trailers too. People were like, Oh, that movie looks terrible. I hate the way that they casted this person. And it's like, gosh, like you've just, you just framed this whole experience with something tragic and, and instead of just kind of looking at it for what it is. And that I think is what I struggle with the most. And again, that's something that you have to just kind of learn to be responsible enough to just bypass that and be okay with what it is and be excited about why you're doing what you're doing, what the motivations we have are here and be okay with the fact that it's not perfect. And some people are just not going to be okay with the fact that it's not perfect. You casted. You said casted. Casted? I said casted. You did, and I wanted to point it out so that we can all dwell on it because you said a bunch of amazing things. Cast. But there's that one thing. Thank you for proving my point. I know. Okay, there we go. It took me a second. (laughs) It took me a second. He just, he edited. That's right. So these guys would just edit that back so we don't have to listen to that. Is it casted? No. No, it's not cast. That's incorrect. I did it wrong. Oh, I thought you were correcting him saying that he should have said casted. No, he did say casted. Should have said cast. Yes. But you see what happened now. The entire conversation about what Mark said is just about this one word. Yep. Right. I don't remember him saying anything. And normally, but anyone anyone viewing this, would that would be the whole framework for how they perceive what Mark said. Mark said said casted. Yeah, that would be the headline. Uh And it's... it's, Reddit is already going off about how Mark said casted. (laughs) Yeah, there's 45 threads about it now. And it's so second nature for us to do that in this culture. And I just, I, I don't know, maybe we can work against that together. Well, I think maybe part of that is modeling, right? If it's, if it's the joy suckers that we're wanting to um, suck the wind out of their sails, um, then we should be probably doing all of the modeling of focusing on the positive, focusing on... The irony is a lot of this happens from people who love the thing that they're talking about. They just want it to be even better. And I think that's the that's the trap. Well, it's a way of engaging with it. It's an obvious entry point for engaging with this thing that you're mm. interested in. You know, like, I really like this, but here's all the little imperfections that I noted. And then, then someone gets to feel smart about themselves. I was going to say, is, yeah. it, is it something where people are kind of trying to... I, you can't see this if you're listening to the podcast, but I'm straightening up. I'm putting my shoulders back. It's like I'm putting myself in a position of knowledge and power I mean, if I can find <clears throat> the things that are wrong. I think so. We've talked about this a few times, but I, I do think that is a lot of what happens on social media is we're all telling a story to ourselves about ourselves, about how we are capable or smart or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, Adorable. Which is how you get what Mark is describing. Mm-hmm. And I think that there are like two main... Uh, not not methodologies, but mindsets that go behind getting to that place. Is it one? Is the the intellectualism? You know, when I was I remember growing up, watching any movie with my dad was an act of intellectualism. We were perpetu- He was perpetually trying to make me be like, oh, but you know, don't you see that this that this plot point is unresolved, and don't you see how like it doesn't make sense that this character would understand that, and like pointing out all those little things, and so but not to tear down the art, but just to awaken mm, me to, to those things so that I could understand and notice them. And so that's one perspective. Like, Dad, this is a movie for eight-year-olds. <laughs> this is really unnecessary. <laughs> then what makes you more angry? Something that is nothing at all like what you like slash want or something that is ugh, almost there. Mm. Something that is that you love 98% of it, but you know, it would have been perfect for you if just if not for this one small aspect or thing. And I think that those are like the two mindsets that can get people into into feeling like like they need to speak out about the one thing that isn't good that they think. Right. But show me something that's perfect. Right. So so hey. that that strenuous activity that we have inside that aspiration that we have or that desire that we have for something to be perfect What's perfect for me is different than what's perfect for you. And it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. Right. And leader, you know, good leaders will just tell you, you just have to shut the noise out like this. Just that's just, you know, what you do. And I think that there's that's absolutely true. It's just hard, you know, because we're emotional beings, too. And so, you know, you can dismiss those things. You're not an emotional being. Everyone who knows me will tell you. That's right. That's right. (laughs) That's. (laughs) so the second half of the question is if would you miss it if it was gone 
That part I would not miss if it was gone. I, I get what the, what that is setting us up for. Mm-hmm. You know, like, yes, customer service and customers in general can be a hassle, but you know, oh my gosh, that's the whole reason we do this. You know, is is to engage with people and to to make things that bring light and joy into people's lives, and so it's all worth it. And but I think, you know, I would remove that part of our culture. I would remove the other thing that to me is a bigger frustration in the board game side of our business, which is the logistics and the taxes and all the business crap. Like if someone could come in here and make all that instantly go away, no, I would not miss it for one second. I don't feel like it is like making me better in some way or making my experience, you know, it's other things aren't better relative to it or like all the, I think really positive things that the the phrasing of this question is trying to set me up for to heck with that i would just delete it Mm -hmm. if possible i feel similarly on the logistics side Mm -hmm. however the side about what i'm deeming the joy suckers you know the people who focus on that five percent that isn't good i'm not sure we'd be better without it because it's evidence of passion in my opinion it and the passion may be portraying itself in a less than productive way but without the passion of people caring enough about games to study and get into them and find out all the minutiae i don't think we'd have a customer base we need constructive criticism to get better at what we're doing the difference i think in my mind is somebody complaining about something that's not perfect as opposed to have you considered you know, something like this that would broaden or would, would, you know, expand perspectives. And, like, the constructive criticism is just so different than negative feedback, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and I think that there is a difference because you're right. Feedback and, and deepening and broadening your perspective on something is something that we need to to evolve and grow and get better. And And I don't think we should dismiss that. So I think I would miss that portion of it. The portion I would not, you know, worry if it was gone has a lot more to do with just complaining about something not being the way I subjectively think it should be. Yeah, well, and I mean, there's, you know, what you're describing and some of the things we experience, like there's a big gulf in between. Mm -hmm. Like we get messages that make people cry in the office. You know, we got a message the other day from someone who said that they, if, if every single one of us lost our homes or our apartments and our families were on the street, they would not be sad about it because then maybe we would learn the consequences of our actions. It's like, yeah, that's okay. For a board game. Right, right, Mm -hmm. right. Because your board game was misdelivered. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, so there, there are some of the customer relations things that I would absolutely take away because it's, at that point, it's not even about like that. That's not even misplaced passion. That's something different. Yeah, it is. And, entitlement at i would point. i would take that away well, it's it's yeah. that we need yes. counseling we need we need that's deep a, yeah that's a greater level of darkness yes. than i don't quite know how to engage with this thing or like I'm excited you missed about. two periods in the in the um in the rule book you know I, that's i understand what that is that's mm-hmm. what you're describing that i have no problem with i feel like we should have discussions about why that's how we're engaging with what we're engaging with but those those discussions are productive and interesting and do make us better people Saying that you hate us and our families, like there's nothing remotely productive about that. And you would be stunned by the number of messages like that we receive. Mm-hmm. Like it's, that's not like a one-off that this one time we got four years ago and we still talk about it. Like I probably have 10 of those in our inbox right now. Entitlement, yeah. like Jared pointed out, is a really good word. And we all have it, but it really manifests in nasty ways. And we have seen a lot of that. And I'm sure a lot of other creatives have too. Anyone selling any product in the world probably sees that. But Well, let's work on getting you back to game making. I think you all have a happier life if you can spend some more time focusing on This would on probably be a, games. a warmer response to this question if we had been We're gonna spending, the last, spending the last few weeks doing fun passion work. Amen. Let's just build a monster that eats those people. Is that bad? Ooh. A little just, bit. Like, there's a circle of life, though, you know? Okay. I, don't, I don't know. Did Maybe you peek not. in my garage? My, <laughs> my secret project? <laughs> just, yeah. Just a life-size Luna. <laughs> you turn <laughs> on just, destroy mode. Yeah. <laughs> Red eye is the only setting. That's right. We're going we're gonna to submit you to Tom's garage for reconditioning. 
recondition Luna's primary function. That's right. <laughs> Resistance is futile. So I would like to control where we're going in this conversation right now about control issues. Um, Seems fair. That's that's why I have gathered us here today is to talk about control issues. Okay? Yes, ma'am. So when we are working on bringing projects to life from uh, an idea, the seed of an idea to uh, a sketch to beta testing to getting something fulfilled to getting funding for it there is so many aspects of bringing a project an idea to life and as the people who are responsible for bringing said things to life sometimes we can get ourselves caught in uh, control issues you know how much we can control in a project and how much we need to let go of control so that it can actually get done by staff and and by the rest of a team so let's let's start with this. Um, how let's start with Tom. How how bad are your control issues when it comes to a project? Would you say? I mean, I feel like my control issues have really gotten better over the over the recent. Years. <clears throat> oh gosh, there's, sorry. There's Mark that's, making. That's, I'm sure that's fine. That was just a malfunction. Loud sounds while I'm talking. Um. I mean, it is something that you have to learn to just let things go um, on the creative side of things, but then also on the just sort of like you like you were describing, just sort of like the trajectory of a project and what's going to end up happening with it, with things that are completely outside your control, like shipping and fulfillment and things like that. Like so much of that, you just send it into the world and you say, you know, Godspeed and whatever happens, happens. And then you roll with those punches. I think... Something that we've done a, a like really conscious job of over the last couple years here is working together to all growing to accept projects kind of being their own thing. Like we start the project, but then we get out of its way a little bit and let it be a discovery process where we all learn things about ourselves and the project becomes what it is going to be kind of on its own instead of us trying to like wrestle it into exactly this image that was in our head when we started. Um, and we find that we have a better experience. We all grow as people and the projects all end up being better in the long run when we loosen up our, our grip on it a little bit and just kind of all make and pour into it. And the creativity is more about a mindset and a goal to be productive toward an assumed end but to not get too precious about exactly what we think it's going to look like or where it's going to go. And then also letting go of our individual pieces. Cause this, and I think that's probably the hardest part on the whole for each of us is understanding like, you know, I had this idea. I saw it this way in my head. This is how I want it to be. But then you involve six other people and it's going to change. And accepting that that's okay like that doesn't mean that your voice is no longer in it or it's somehow not as good it hasn't been diluted by the team it has just been evolved and I think taking I don't know your 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 pride out of it being exactly like it was in your head and letting you be proud of what we've made as a team um you think is, is a growth thing for each of us you think personal pride is at the center of a lot of these control issues and expression a desire to bring your specific expression into the world probably mm -hmm. the ratio between passion and <clears throat> micromanagement is an interesting one mm -hmm. um i think the more passionate you are about something the more you kind of see it a certain way in your head and you kind of want other people to catch that too it's like jared yeah i like what you're saying but you know maybe you know, and I think we fit all fit it in my box, please. Maybe yeah. say it my way. Yeah, love Mark. <laughs> what if you did it the right way? Um, See, Jared, I love what you're doing here, but you haven't given me enough time to redo it in my handwriting. <laughs> right, that's right. So, and and like to Tom's point, the passion should be shared. If this is a group project and not something you're doing by yourself, you want to make sure that you're not ma micromanaging it to the point where nobody else is really passionate about it anymore, and they'd be like, "Well, let's just do what Tom said because Tom wants it the way Tom wants it." Um, it doesn't, it doesn't really resonate the way that it can when you do that. And so I think that's something that is slowly learned over time, the more experience you have with those types of things. Would you agree that, that the center point of these control issues do come from a place of personal pride as well? Yeah. Personal pride is interesting. There's, 
there's a good there's a good pride and a and a and a negative pride, right? And I think I think both are accurate. There's a yeah, I want this to be the best possible thing that it could be for everybody. I want as many people to relate to it as possible and I want to enrich their lives with it. And if it's not done perfectly, that won't work. So change that thing, change that thing, change that thing. Um, and really, you're always operating from a limited perspective. So, you know, you have to be patient and you have to be open in order in order to, you know, I think, serve the whole better. Mm-hmm. Uh, because everybody's got a valuable perspective, even if it's not the same one that you have. And even though somebody has to make the call, you know, somebody's going to be tasked with the authority to make a call about something. And it's like, gosh, well, I would have done it differently. But I think the character that can come out of a person when something shifts and goes against the, what they were thinking, but still they still have enough ownership and they still can maintain enough, um, you know, dignity to to let those things go and still wholeheartedly be part of the project is, I think, what what separates things that are good from things that are absolutely breathtaking and also complete and because i think sometimes our personal pride can get in the way from us actually getting something done because if we try to maintain too much control we're never going to be able to actually complete something if we don't include people into our team and i think some of the biggest things you said there were patience and openness you know, if we don't bring a team into working on some projects and we don't have the patience to, to bring them in and to speak our vision correctly and the openness to have them speak into our vision, then it's very difficult to complete anything that matters. And I think the central thing is going to be different for each person. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think it's always going to be pride for everybody. I, th- I think for some people it's going to be like there's an insecurity that's being, you know, poked on when someone comes in and takes away your complete ownership of something. Or, you know, like, you know, I, I have seven siblings and I never got a word in edgewise and this feels the same and now I feel like claustrophobic mm-hmm. and smashed again. Mm-hmm. You know, I, th- I think, you know, we're all going to bring a different life experience to what we're trying to do here. And learning to you know so our reason for control is going to be different person to person but i think we all have a very similar challenge in dealing with whatever it is that's driving that control acknowledging it and learning to work around it or work through it or evolve past it my mom sent me something this week she's very insightful and she's very um intentional about what she shares and what she sends and so she sent me this thing this week that I think kind of relates to this and it's basically about how we talk and how we listen and I think if you look for example at oh I don't know let's say the political discourse currently in our country uh, or the media for example controlling the narrative and the way that the way that those control issues manifest to to drown out other voices and it happens you know just broadly with all of us right but we talk to be heard we talk to express our pain and our feelings we talk to control we talk with our pens we talk with our keyboards but i think one of the things that opens us up to our potential is listening and that can become a weapon against all kinds of things. It could become a weapon against hatred. It can become a weapon against indifference. It can become a weapon against micromanaging, controlling behaviors. And it's it's very disarming to have somebody that's willing to listen. And I find it convicting because I'm really not a very good listener. I mean, that might be news to you guys. But yeah, just fight the urge, Tom. <laughs> I find it convicting and and hopefully that's not why my mom sent it to me, but um, <laughs> <laughs> maybe it was. She's I, been I'm very still being mothered and open. <laughs> yeah, she's like, for no reason. Here's a bunch of content on listening. <laughs> <Right>? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I, I don't know. I, I was looking over what she sent me, and I read it three or four times, and I was just like, this is so powerful right now. It's just poignant right now, and. You know, in the position that I'm in and the things that I'm doing with y'all and and others and with my kids and stuff, listening is such a powerful tool. I'm I'm I've really refocused actually, even just this week after like I feel convicted to to really just kind of think about how much time I spend listening and just not trying to convey what I'm thinking, 
but to learn and to be teachable. I think there's wisdom in being teachable. And so I think that's almost, I'm almost serving that up to you almost like the antidote for control issues is listening and being teachable. And I think letting things go. I, you know, post surgery, you know, I had my heart surgery and that is however you want to look at it. You know, it's a very, like, it makes you aware of your mortality and something that's become really clear to me kind of in the lead up to it, but especially after is like the, the amount that I was trying to control things was unhealthy because I, in that I was trying to control things that ultimately don't really matter to me, you know, like, sure. There are a bunch of things that like any one of us could jump in on at any given point and make it better. Like we can look at anything in this company or in conversations other people are having where you can jump in there and you can fix it. You can say something they're not thinking of, or, you know, yeah, you can take over that job that someone else in your office is doing and do it better than them. And it's like, but so like how necessary to the world and to your story as a human being and to the people you love, is it for you to kill yourself making everything slightly better because you think you can Mm -hmm. like, I'm not going to look back on my life and feel deeply satisfied with like, boy, I sure made that process at work 5% more efficient by barreling into it and taking it over. Like that isn't the point of Tom or anyone working anywhere or involved with a group of friends or doing anything. And I think we spend a lot of our lives spending way too much energy and putting way too much stock into these things that ultimately if we took a couple steps back, we don't really care with the intensity that our behavior suggests we do. I just imagine Tom um, diving forward roll into like a production meeting. Like, but have you thought? I just, I would like to see you do that. We would all like to see me do that. (laughs) I would like to be capable of doing that. And you all would be very amused by how incapable of doing that I am. It's happening in my head right now. I know. Isn't it great? Yeah. Um, Is it more of a like floppy roll? There's like, yeah, spaghetti. It's just limbs, limbs and spaghetti everywhere. Where'd that even come from? questions you don't want answered (laughs) jared i had a question for you but did you have feedback to what he wanted yeah sure i mean thank you tom for for elucidating why it is so important to like not seize control now please let me tell you a story where i seized control (laughs) um so uh just tell you a story about how awesome i am (laughs) (laughs) so one time um i was in a play and the the director wanted all of the set changes to look like magic they were like, if I can tell that people are moving things, I'm pissed. And so that what and so I had I to that's turn exactly what that person sounded like. <laughs> not at all. Not I, at all. <laughs> and so I had to uh, one of my jobs was that I had to sit inside of this tower. And then uh, once the show actually started, the tower would open up into a wall. And so what that meant practically for me was that I had to sit inside of it for half an hour while everybody was coming in and milling about and getting in their seats. I had to be ready half an hour before everybody else to sit inside this tower. And I was stuck in there with a, someone who was really into Dungeons and Dragons. And I had never um, really heard about it. I mean, I kind of, but didn't really know a lot about it. But figured if I'm going to be stuck in here for weeks with this kid, I might as well let him talk to me about the thing that he cares about the most. (laughs) And so he explains to me the difference between warlocks and sorcerers and wizards and about, you know, the the different sources of all their magics. And it it seems pretty cool. You know, I was a super Harry Potter kid. I would force my younger brother to do Harry Potter duels with me and get mad when he wouldn't, you know, become stunned when I would say Petrificus Totalis at him. (laughs) Um, I'm like, you're supposed to fall over. Have you not seen the end of the first movie? I... um, but so that, that all culminates in uh, one day I'm randomly at a party and somebody that is hosting the party I know has uh, dungeon mastered a game of D&D before in the past. And so I'm like, hey, would you be interested in running this game? I would love to play. I've heard about it. I, you know, let's give it a try. And he's like, cool, cool. So getting everybody set it up. And then when it comes time to make my character, I'm like, well, I don't know much, but I do know that I want to be one of these characters that has like magic and spells and powers. And he goes, cool. I think you should probably be a cleric. And I'm like, but there's a wizard right there. That seems pretty cool. I think I might want to do that. And he goes, no, you're going to be a cleric. 
because you know the party needs a cleric and you all will die without one, I guess. Um, and I didn't have a good understanding of the magic system of D&D, about the different spells and how it all works, and so, I, and so I'm like, but he has magic, right? My cleric has magic, so he could do magic stuff. And, so the, and he goes, yeah, of course, of course. And so I make my character, and the very first thing that I try to do is we're in the tavern, and I try to you know, like open a cabinet that's like behind the bar with my magic. Now, anybody who's played D&D before probably knows that a cleric generally does not have this ability, but I wanted to because, you know, it was my imagination, my freedom, and I wanted to, and was, like, forced, essentially, to, to engage in this cr creativity that was, that was not my own, and my, my decision was to become the dungeon master myself and to go <laughs> and learn and figure out how to do all of it, switch systems. We started doing Pathfinder, and now we're doing Fifth Edition Dungeons & Dragons, and so for the past several years, I have been expressing my creative control um, so that I could give my friends the freedom that I wanted. Mm. As the dungeon master. Exactly. Because I knew that I would, that I wasn't going to be the type that would say no. You have mm -hmm. ascended. So you're saying you're using control to give other people more control. Exactly. Mm. Whoa. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Jared's the best of us. <laughs> well, it's interesting. I mean, I didn't, I didn't tie it until the end of your story there, but like the reason why I... <laughs> Bring it home. It was a long story. There it <laughs> is. The reason why I started my own company was like, you know, I had my degree in broadcasting and I went and did internships at sports broadcasting studios. And I just couldn't imagine a life where I just had to say exactly what people wanted me to say all the time. And so I've spent 10 years of my career building something that now finally I have the ability to do podcasting and videos and use all my broadcasting skills, but <laughs> but on my own accord about whatever I want. Do you remember the first time we did the vindication Rule, rules? How to play a video? Yeah, and, and we had it scripted. And you're like, blah, 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 blah. Forget that. I'm just just that. tell me the concept and I'm just going to go. Yeah. You Her younger brother, the actor, shaking in his boots. <laughs> Forget the script. You wrote a script? I don't care about that. Yeah, but I mean, like, m what Mark wrote coming out of my mouth, it just not doesn't work the You know same what? Now way. that you say it like that. Yeah. So now you just say things that people don't want you to say. No, I mean, sometimes. Mm. <laughs> we pay you for it? What? And we pay you for it? Here we are. Um, so when is control good? When, so when Jared does it. That's right. When is it important and necessary? Hand when me is the keys. when is control important and necessary? I mean, at some point, you know, things need a degree of control or it's just chaos. So it I think it's it's about degrees. Sometimes you just need an adult to step in the room and get it done. And I will tell you if there's chaos or there's no direction, somebody needs to step up, take control of a situation. Uh, especially if there's danger or safety issues, somebody needs to step up and get it done. And we'll ask the questions later. It's like I when we're designing a board game and, and danger and safety issues come up. Someone needs to really well, adult the screaming up. room. Are you talking about the screaming room? My, my argument is that control is most necessary in keeping something in alignment with the mission. Um, you know, the details can be softened, can be sanded down, but a, a leader's job, the person in control, the control that they should have the most is bringing things into alignment with the mission. Just simply asking the question over and over and over again, does this best serve the goal of this project? We all agree this is the goal of this project, right? Yeah, to so be aware. So establishing, establishing what the goal of a project, a company is, and snapping it back into alignment. Well, what you're hitting on is very interesting because you're talking about what are you controlling? Mm -hmm. What are you controlling? Are you controlling the tone of the room? Are you t controlling how comfortable? Boy, did I just speak words correctly? My brain melted. Controlling. It, it did. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, it did melt. Well, you um, were speaking it correctly, okay. in my opinion. You know, are you are you controlling the way everyone feels safe to express their own things? Are you controlling the vision that we're all heading in generally the same direction? Or are you controlling the exact execution? Are you controlling so what, what pixel is where? Yeah, what are you choosing to control mm -hmm. is a very interesting question. Because I do think that control is valuable. But and necessary. But what you're controlling is a very interesting question. Mm -hmm. that, that's a good point. One way that I've found to exercise control in a way that's less micromanagey is having intentional checkpoints for things. 
where you know you have a project you say what it is you're looking for to the people who are going to be doing it and you say this is when we're going to have a checkpoint on this so they can run and do things and sometimes that does mean that things that are put out to the public might be different than what you had in mind um, however there's a checkpoint in place that says okay here's what I've seen of the body of work you've done so far. I love this. I love this. I love this. Let's work on this. I love this. You're doing a great job. Let's keep going. So those intentional checkpoints are much better than having to consistently micromanage a project. Yeah. Con quality assurance, you know, quality control is a necessary thing to make sure that you're, you know, creating and producing and fulfilling something that has value. Absolutely. And quality control is a really important job. And sometimes quality control or sometimes that mindset can expand to no longer becoming like, how do I shore up this thing so that it is so that it is better versus like, um, you know, as we all know, as creatives, there are a billion different creative decisions that you could make at any moment that are of equal value. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there there's a hierarchy, but um, there you know, deciding whether or not their cloak is red or green. The Obviously, there are potential metaphorical implications if you want to go down that route. But gen in general, a, a lot of creative decisions are kind of arbitrary and up to the tastes of the individual person making that decision. And another creative might come along and say, oh, I I would have done it slightly differently. And But, but to know that your way would not... Uh, increase or decrease the value and then not share that is like I think the next level of being a creative is mm. to not only see how you would do it differently but to understand whether or not it would actually bring value and it would be worthwhile to bring up to the other people patience openness and restraint even restraint, restraint is a good word the most experienced leaders that I respect the most are the ones who demonstrate the least amount of control, but the most amount of sharing their perspective. You know, here are some potential pitfalls I see with that. Instead of don't do that, this is this is a better way, uh, which is a little more controlling. It's a little bit more like sharing. It's a little bit more like listening and then responding. Because it gives them the chance to respond to those things that you're worried about. Because if you just put the put the X on this it. This is what to do or this is what not to do is very different than you sharing your opinion and them coming up with a solution to bring it into alignment. The more data, the better <clears throat> the decision. So how can we take this conversation and make it a little more applicable for someone who doesn't work on a creative team? So... If you are someone who listens to this show, who's working on a game at home, or you have some other project that you're making, which I think constitutes a large body of the people who listen to this show, at least based on the write-ins we get, you know, how does a discussion about control affect th that person? You know, so if I'm designing a board game at home, how should I be thinking about the way I'm thinking about my self-control in that project? Any thoughts? In in the context of board games? I thought we were taking it out of that. I was, that was just an example. Okay. Maybe they're writing a book. I think... Oh, I so think, for a creative project. Yeah. I think a big part of it is honing your, your skills of agility, even like mental agility. Like setting the path ahead of time of exactly what you think is going to happen and exactly how a project is going to end up is fairly crippling. It's important to have a vision and a goal of how something is going to end, but to be open to new th information that you're going to get that's going to change the path because if you try to just barrel down and take it down the path that you plan ahead of time you're probably going to fail but if you have an end goal and you're willing to maneuver yourself to get there that's a skill that i think even working as an individual creative is is what you need to be able to manage a project to th fruition yeah i think that's a great answer adaptability is potent in this space right so things are going to come along that are out of your control you cannot control them being able to adapt in those situations is what sometimes keeps companies afloat keeps families together um, being adaptable and being willing to let your subjectivity go for a greater good I think is could be key in that situation mm-hmm you have any thoughts, Jared? Uh, you work on creative projects by yourself at home. Yeah. 
I th I think that an important thing is that you recognize the and I've mentioned this a tiny bit in a previous episode is to be okay with the dissonance between your your eyes and your stomach to use the normal uh, mm. like metaphor with food where it's like oh I thought that I could eat all this but I actually could not and you know the number of ideas that I have that I am not at this moment capable of executing to the degree that I <laughs> want them to be that is innumerable and so you know if I was listening to this podcast what I would want myself to hear and to say to myself is that the is that the control that you want over your projects is an ever-increasing uh, skill and metric that like as you get better at all of your individual skills your ability to um, to literally control yourself as a tool as an instrument gets better you're, you're basically a creative powder keg just ready to ready to blow there's just too many ideas right that's a, that. accurate you have to keep that yeah. keep me away from open flames that's right. <laughs> we were already doing that all right before y'all explode you're made of flammable flesh before y'all explode i'm going to control the end of this podcast which is right now um thank you for sharing your valuable opinions uh and I mean it. I'm not being she sarcastic. All of you. Thank she always you. says in this sad tone. So thank you for saying things. At I us. guess. Um, right. Tom. <laughs> I enjoy having these conversations. I hope all of you listening are enjoying listening into our conversations. I hope you enjoy our banter and can sense how much we love each other and are annoyed by each other constantly. Um, but we control it. But we control it. Restraint, it's openness, just restraint. patience. That's all this is. That's all it is. I didn't know there was a difference between annoyance and love. Um, we would love to <laughs> to have you subscribe to the podcast, share it with a friend who has control issues, and we'll talk about it on the outpost. We'll see you there. Have a great rest of your day. <laughs> see you on Facebook. See you in um, in any of our other channels. We can't wait to see you. We'll talk to you soon. Woo. Goodbye. 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 <laughs>